If you're uh, visiting with us, we want to just hopefully explain what we're uh, doing today. As we gather here in just a few moments, I'm going to be opening the scripture and uh, seeking to teach from it we, where we, we believe God takes the first step towards us and he reveals his, his heart to us. And, uh, and he's, he, he comes to us with his revelation, with his word uh, to us. Um, and we want our minds to be challenged with his truth. We want our imaginations to be captured by his beauty. We believe the scriptures ultimately point us towards what God has done for us in Jesus. Um, and so we, we come and we, we seek to hear from God through his word in the proclamation uh, of his word. Then we respond to his revelation. We think that's the right rhythm of, uh, of our relationship with God, that God reveals himself to us, that he takes that first step, he takes that initiative in, 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 um, in relationship and in communication of his heart and his love for us, and then our call is to respond to him. And so we respond as a church community in two ways. We respond in community, uh, in what we call our connection time, and so when I'm done speaking, we have our connection time, which is not a break from our service, but an integral part of it, where we actually connect with one another as a community, where we seek to encourage each other, speak a word of love, of embrace, of uh, encouragement, maybe of challenge uh, to one another. We, uh, in that time, we gather all the kids, and then with all ages, we respond in worship, uh, singing, and response, and praise, and thanksgiving, and in prayer. And so that's how we've structured our gatherings here on Sunday mornings at Cornerstone. And uh, if, you, if this is one of your first times here, just want to say you're so welcome to join us. And I'll invite you to turn in the scriptures to John chapter 10. We as a uh, church family are walking our way through John's gospel, which is a, a Greco-Roman biography written by Jesus' best friend here on earth. The, we know him as the Apostle John, the disciple John. John refers to himself in this book, in this biography, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John wrote this book, John wrote this uh, to, early, to the early followers of Jesus as, um, as an encouragement for them that they would know who Jesus is and that they would put their trust in him. He writes at the, in John chapter 20, he writes at the end of his gospel, he says, there's many things that Jesus did. There's many signs that Jesus did. And there's many other things that he did, but I wrote these things down. These signs were written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. You would believe in who he is, and that by believing you would have life in his name. So John's written this gospel to us. God has, has, uh, has given us this uh, biography of Jesus so that we would know who Jesus is, that he's the Christ. He's the promised Messiah, the King. The shepherd king who was promised for, uh, for generations to Israel to come and to be the deliverer, the rescuer of humanity, and to create a new community, a new uh, community of God's people here on earth, um, that God would, through his people, pour out mercy and grace and kindness in this world and restore his creation to how he intended when he first made it. And so we would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that we would receive that, and by believing in him, that we would experience life, life as God intended for us, that we would have a new flourishing, a new peace, a new joy, a new experience of love and embrace by believing in Jesus. And so John has organized this gospel around these seven signs that Jesus has, uh, that Jesus performed while he was on this, on this earth. And these signs were, were pointers to who he is and what believing in him is all about. And so the, the context of what we're reading here is 
um, this morning is that Jesus has just healed a man who's been born blind. And that's one of the signs that, that John writes of, that there was this man who was born blind and he's uh, in his 30s and Jesus comes along and heals him to restore sight to him. And so um, always after these signs that Jesus does, there's contention and there's, he, he, he has teaching and there's uh, division, there's um, religious leaders usually are the ones opposing him and, um, and challenging him as to who he is and what he's all about and what he's doing. And so he, Jesus here in these verses in John chapter 10 is speaking to religious leaders who are um, upset with him uh, based on a technicality. They're upset with him because he healed this man on the Sabbath day. And to them that kind of smells like work. To them that smells like he's broken one of their rules. And if he's breaking their rules... Um, he's a threat to their religious system. He's a, re- he's a threat to their identity. He's a threat to their source of income. He's a threat to their source of power, to their source of well-being. And so Jesus is seen as a threat by these religious leaders. And so they're raising contentions about him. So let's read. Um, we're really continuing where we were last week. If you were here with us, Jesus talking about himself as the good shepherd. I'm going to start reading at verse 14. I'm going to read all the way to verse 30. Jesus speaking again to these religious leaders. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason there shall be one flock and one shepherd, uh, sorry, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were divided. Many of them said, he's demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you. But you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is God's word to us this morning. I want to frame uh, my talk this morning around that question right in uh, the center of that, uh, of that passage where um, these uh, leaders and these uh, people with whom Jesus is engaging in conversation ask, they say, why listen to him? Why listen to him? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever asked, why 
Should I listen to Jesus? It's a great question. It's a great question. It's an important question. And in fact, the scriptures tell us that there's something at stake as to how we answer that question. There is something at stake in whether or not we listen to Jesus or whether we blow him off. The reality is we should ask this question of every voice that we're bombarded with every day, whether they're advertising voices, campaigning voices, academic voices. We should ask, on what authority are you speaking to me, and why should I listen to you? Why should I listen to you? Tell me how it is. Tell me how things are really like, and tell me how I should live, and tell me what I should love. Why should I listen to this voice as opposed to any other voice? And and Jesus, I think, is... um, you know, is not just one voice among many. If, if Jesus is, for us is just one voice among many that we're listening to, we're actually not really listening to him at all. And so this question, why listen to Jesus, is worth noticing, it's worth examining. You know, I think John is actually highlighting this question for us to get us to think, to startle our consciousness into an, into an awareness, to pay attention to which voices are we listening to? Which voices are we, are, we, are we listening to about who we are and who God is and what God is like and what this world is all about and what history is all about and why am I here? All of these voices that are, that are speaking to us, that are, pay, that are calling us, us to pay attention or calling for our affections, calling for our love and our devotion, our commitments. It's a great question. Why listen to Jesus? Jesus and John, I think, in this passage actually give us a number of reasons why Jesus is worth listening to. I think that, I think that we really think this question is there to startle us and say, well, why should I listen to Jesus? And, and couched in, in this narrative around this question are at least four great reasons why we should listen to Jesus. First reason that I think John has given us here and Jesus is, is giving us to listen to him is that he laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. This uh, theme is emphasized in this passage five times at least by Jesus in verse uh, 11, which is before where I read, um, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15 says, I lay down my life for the sheep. It's highlighted again in verse 17. The reason the father loves me is that I lay down my life. And it's highlighted twice in verse 18, that he lays down his life for us. This is the reason why Jesus could say that he is the good shepherd. You know, earlier in this narrative, he's contrasting himself with, um, with hired hands. Those who um, the owner of the sheep would hire to care for the sheep. Um, and, and he says these hirelings, these hired hands, when threats come, when wolves come, they're running off. They don't ultimately care for the sheep. They're just in it for what they can get out of it. They're in it for themselves. They're in it to make a buck. He says, no, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Hired hands don't care ultimately about the sheep. They're in it for themselves. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life. And so Jesus says this with all sincerity. This is not something Jesus is putting on his resume to get a job. This is something Jesus paid for with his, with his blood. This is a, a, the proof is in the pudding. Jesus did lay down his life for you. Jesus, as our good shepherd, says, I care for you. I won't abandon you. I will serve you. 
He says, no one else will care for you forever like I do, without fail. That in this world of betrayal, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We have to remember, and we highlight, I highlighted this a little bit last week, but there's really, we have to remember that there's nothing sentimental about this picture of a shepherd and a sheep. Being a shepherd was not a glamorous job by any means in this culture. It's lonely work, dirty work. It was dangerous work. There were wolves. Shepherds were not um, highly esteemed. They were, all, all, they were, they were, seemed, uh, they were deemed to be unreliable. And so um, it's not a sentimental, flattering even picture uh, for Jesus to take on himself as the great shepherd, as the good shepherd. It's not a flattering picture for us to be sheep either, right? He's not saying, oh, you guys are so cuddly and warm and fuzzy, right? That's not what Jesus is getting at when he likens us to sheep. He's saying, you're vulnerable, you're weak, and you're foolish. Like you are prone to wander, you're helpless, you're defenseless, you have no claws, no fangs. There's wolves out there who are going to get you, right? There are no wild wolves, wild sheep, sorry, right? A wild sheep is a dead sheep. There's no teams with a sheep as their mascot, right? We've got lions, tigers, bears, and giants, but we have no, no sheep on the football field, right? So it's not a flattering uh, illustration for Jesus, a picture that Jesus is painting for us. He says, you're defenseless, you're foolish, you're prone to wander, you're lost, You're completely reliant on a shepherd to care for you, protect you, feed you, guide you, lead you in every way. Comprehensive care for you. You need a shepherd, and I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who will care for you. I'm the one who will provide for you. You see, only the good shepherd will care for you. Only he has the sincerity. Only he has the goodness. Only he has the wholeheartedness to care for you no matter what. So... What dangers are you facing today? What dangers are you facing? What wolves are you facing? Some of us are are deeply sad. Some of us have been um, deeply wounded, hurt. Many of us hurt by religious leaders in the name of God. And we feel cratered emotionally. And we ask ourselves, you know, how can I go on? How can I go on? And Jesus says, he's the good shepherd. You don't have to bring any positive emotion with you. I'm not looking for people with impressive potential. I'm the good shepherd. I'm on your side no matter what. Others of us, we're, we're stuck in, in patterns that we just can't break. Sinful patterns of life. Destructive patterns of life that we just cannot break. Jesus earlier in John's gospel says that he who sins is a slave to sin, and we know that. We've experienced that. Who among us, we all know what it's like to even be shocked by ourselves, by our own self-centeredness, by our own foolishness. We know what it's like to be frustrated with ourselves, even offended by ourselves. Why do I keep doing this? I hate this. It's embarrassing. It's scary. And Jesus says, you don't have to bring your perfect self-control to the table. I'm the good shepherd. I love hopeless cases. 
I want to give you your freedom back. I want to give you your dignity back. Others of us are maybe feeling lonely, feeling unloved, left out, overlooked. And we wonder, do, do I even matter to anyone? And Jesus would say, I think, to you today, he says, you don't have to make me feel loved. I'm the good shepherd. I'm here to love you. I'm here to care for you. I'm here to stand by you. You see, if he laid down his life for us, his great heart is so willing to care for us moment by moment. There's nothing he would withhold from you. Others of us are quite successful and independent and self-sufficient. And on the outside, it looks like we've got it all together. And maybe you don't feel like a sheep. Maybe you feel like a wild stallion. I don't know what you feel like, but... (laughs) That wasn't in my notes. (laughs) But maybe... Maybe you feel self-sufficient. I don't rely on anyone for anything. I'm successful. I'm even fairly good looking. I've got it together. Maybe you don't feel like a sheep at all, but do you realize how tenuous a position all of us are in? Do you realize how tenuous that success is? What control do you have over the real estate market? What control do you have over the stock market? What control do you have over your job security, ultimately? Jesus came to lay down his life for us as a substitute. That's, the word, that's what the word for means. There's, no other, there's lots of different words in Greek that can, we would translate for. The Greek word here means for instead of, as a substitute. It means he laid down his life instead of us having to lay down our lives. It means that he took our place. It means that he was located in our hell so that we could be located in his heaven. He took our place for our rebellion against God. You see, the scriptures are clear that all of us have declared war on God. We fired the first shot. We've rebelled against him. We ignore him. We want to pretend like he doesn't exist. We have distorted views of who he is and what he's like. And ultimately, the scriptures say our hearts are born dead in sin, spiritually dead, at enmity with God. Like we've, we, we, we don't like him. We don't want him to be the way he is. And yet the scriptures say he's our maker. He has claims on us. And so that that relationship that's been fractured, that is fractured, he's come to restore, to repair, to reconcile. He's come on a mission of reconciliation. And and, and at the cost of his own life, that he laid down his life for us. And he was not forced into it. He was not tricked into it. He was not like the helpless victim. Verse 18 says, I have authority to lay it down. I laid it down of my own accord. I've laid it down of my own volition. I've chose this path. I came on this mission for this reason. I came into the world to lay down my life for you. I wasn't surprised by it. I wasn't fooled by it. This was, my face was set 
towards the cross for you. My whole life is about restoring relationship with you. And so we can sing with the old hymn, In my place condemned he stood. Hallelujah, what a savior. What a savior. He's worth listening to because he laid down his life for us. Secondly, he is worth listening to because he knows us. He knows us. Verse 14, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I know my sheep. He's not distant from you, friend. He's not, he's not, he's aware of your circumstances. He's informed, he's involved, he understands, he knows your name. The one who calls out the stars and knows each of the stars of the billions and billions of stars, he knows each of them by name, he knows your name. He doesn't treat you like a number. Right? There's often advertising campaigns. It feels like it's maybe often financial institutions who say, well, here at this bank, we don't treat you like a number, we know your name, we treat you like a person. Right? And that feels good to us. Think about, have you ever had the experience where um, someone you looked up to and maybe you didn't expect them to, to know, what you, know, know you and know your name and know what you're like and know what you're all about? Someone like in a higher position than you actually take an interest in you and knows you? I'm, I think of one uh, professor I had at university who is a math professor and um, just got to, you know, most professors are kind of aloof and, and standoffish and um, arrogant and bad teachers and all the, all the thing. And, but this, this one guy was, he really took an interest. And I remember I had taken a couple classes with him, but I wasn't a student at the time. And he's like, he was, and I was kind of wondering what to do next after this degree was done. And he's like, he was asking me about it in the hallway. And he's like, well, but you really like this and you're really like that. And, and, uh, and this is the path, this is the things you're really good at, but you're not really good at this. And I'm like, wow, he really knows me. He really, I wasn't just a number to him. I wasn't just a, a face in the, in, the, in the crowd, someone he had to teach. Like, he knew me. He knew what I was good at. He knew what I cared about. I'm like, how affirming is that? To be known by someone who's kind of above you, who maybe shouldn't... Um, who, who, who doesn't have to know you, right? Who doesn't have to care about you. Have you had an experience like that? Do you know how transforming that is? How much more then is the fact that our great God, our creator, knows you by name, knows you inside and out. You see what Jesus, you know what Jesus is actually saying here is that ultimate reality, um, ultimate reality is not the laws of physics, Ultimate reality is relationships of love. Ultimate reality is relationships of love. He came, Jesus came to tell us something we would never dare to be true. And he wants us to know that there is a a love that is ultimate reality. He says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, that's the same way that you know me and I know you. You see that? Verse 14, he says, and 15, he says, I know my sheep, my sheep know me. In the same way, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Again, in verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. So he's drawing our attention to this relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Through God the Holy Spirit, 
We call in Christian circles, we call this the Trinity. This is what we believe the nature of God to be like. That God is three persons in one being. We don't understand it. We don't get it. But the scriptures are so clear in this. And, and it's such a beautiful picture. And C.S. Lewis calls the Trinity the, um, the divine dance. Because he, he says the, from, from all eternity, the Father has been loving the Son. So from all eternity, the Father has been centering around the Son, expressing love and, and delighting in the Son. And in the same way, at the same time, the Son has been delighting in the Father and has been um, experiencing a love relationship with the Father. And so has been circling around the Son. And the Father and the Son both love the Spirit and circle around the Spirit. And so there's this other-centeredness, this divine, beautiful love relationship of where, the, where two persons of the Trinity are loving the other person. And it's all mutual. And so there's this centering around. And so there's this divine dance and this beautiful relationship of love that is ultimate reality. And second Peter says that, that God has called us and qualified us to participate in the divine nature. That means that, that this relationship of love, this Trinity, this other centered love is what Jesus came to draw us into. That we get to participate in that relationship of love. That he says, my sheep, I, I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Just as we relate to one another in this self-centered love, this dance of love where we, where we circle around each other. He says, I've come to call you into that. That's incredible. That's beautiful. This is real. This is really real. That Jesus loves us. There's this, that's ultimate reality, even. The love of the Father and the Son have, that they've been enjoying for all eternity. That's what you're invited into. That's amazing. It's amazing. So he's worth listening to because he laid down his life for us. He's worth listening to because he knows us. Thirdly, he's... He's worth listening to because he wants us in his new community. Verse 16 says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. There'll be one flock and one shepherd. The, uh, this, this sheep pen refers to, to Judaism. He's saying, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I have other sheep that are not part of the Jews is what he's saying. Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he says, salvation is from the Jews. You see, Abraham, the father of, of Judaism in many ways, it, w- received this promise. And he says, I'm, the, where God said to Abraham, you know, come out and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you and your family. And through you, I will bless every family on the, on the earth. Through you, all people groups, all nations will be blessed. You see, um, God never intended for his salvation, for his good news, for his community to only, in, to only be expressed in one place among one people group. His, his vision from all eternity was, it was never meant to be limited. It was to be inclusive of every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people group on the planet. And Jesus says, I've come to open the doors for all peoples. I will go and find them. I have he says, I have other sheep, present tense. They're already my sheep. I have them. They're already mine. And they, I will go to them. I will bring them in. They will listen to me. He says, I must do it. There's an imperative there too. I need to do it. That's what I'm all about. 
And so, friends, the, gospel, the advance of the gospel in the world today is Jesus himself bringing in more diverse people groups and more diverse people so that we will all be one flock together under the care of one good shepherd. So here's a couple of things about that, a couple of implications for us, is that anyone can belong. Anyone can belong. Friends, church is not an affinity group. This is not an affinity group. This is a work of God. This is a rowdy band, not rowdy enough, but a rowdy band of misfits who love each other for Jesus' sake. Right? The thing we have in common is that we love Jesus. And he's called us into his kingdom. And so, in the church, the more rowdy, the better. The more ill-fitting, the better. The more diverse, the better. The more surprising, the better. That's what the kingdom of God is meant to look like. It's not meant to be a sea of white people. It's not meant to be one ethnic group. It's not meant to be one age group. It's not meant to be one socioeconomic status. It should be surprising friendships in the kingdom of God. Then we really show what a good shepherd Jesus is. When we become friends with people, we would have nothing else in common with but Jesus. You may have read in the Standard a week or two ago, this story of the unlikely friendship of Tom and Norm. Did you guys, anyone read that? Some of you uh, know these guys. I know them a bit. Tom's the church kid, pastor. Norm's the guy who's been in and out of jail, often on the streets, and they're best friends. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. So let's be real together. Let's be human. Let's be who we are. Let's have the courage to do church in a real way. Not a facade of put-togetherness. Let's have the courage to be that rowdy, rowdy bound of misfits who love each other for Jesus' sake. So that means you belong. It means even you belong here. He drew you here. It's not, you're not here by accident. We're glad you're here. No matter what you look like or smell like or believe or think or act like. We're glad you're here. He's worth listening to because he wants all kinds of people in his community. That he's forming. And fourthly, lastly, he's worth listening to because he is in full command of all evil in this world. Verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. See, the worst evil ever perpetrated on this earth was the murder of Jesus. It's the murder of Jesus. This is the worst evil this world has ever seen. No one has ever deserved death less than Jesus. Peter says in Acts 3, it's on the screen here, because I didn't write it down. He says, you disown, he's speaking to the people who murdered Jesus, he says, you disown the holy and righteous one. You disown the holy and righteous one, and you asked instead that a murderer be released to you, as the man named Barabbas. 
It says, you killed the author of life. Dripping with irony, right? You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. You tried to kill the author of life, and God said, good luck with that. (laughs) He has authority over the worst evil this world has ever seen. Not even us, not even we can generate evil so great that God cannot control. He is in complete authority over the evil events towards the end of his life. And he's in complete control and authority over the evil that's, that we face every day, that is slammed in our face every day. He's in full command with full authority. He says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. He held his life in his hand and he laid it down and he holds your life in his hand. He says in verse 28, I, will, I give them eternal life. That's his sheep. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. You don't have to worry about your capacity to hold on to Jesus. He's, he's completely capable of holding on to you. And his promise of his kingdom, of this eternal life, this everlasting life, this quality of life that's perfect and unending, that's, that, that's he, what he's intended from the beginning, this eternal life in, in which all evil is going to disappear and will appear as a speck as it disappears away for all eternity. Jesus will accomplish this with his eternity. With his, with his authority, sorry. Jesus will accomplish this. He's in complete authority over all evil in this world. And so therefore, he's worth listening to. At these words, the Jews were divided. Friends, there's always a division around Jesus. Jesus is always controversial. It will never be totally in vogue to believe in all that Jesus is. And all that he teaches. Every culture will, will like some of what Jesus teaches and will be opposed to other parts of it. It will never be cool to be a follower of Jesus. He's always controversial. And so please don't wait till he's no longer controversial. Until you can conf- if you conform Jesus to, uh, in his message and his teaching to our culture and just... And, and until it's palatable to all, you'll, you'll end up with a Jesus so disfigured from the Gospels. His teaching always affirms parts of every culture and confronts other parts. He'll affirm some things in you, and he'll confront some things in you. He's always controversial. But his claim and his call and his invitation is that you would come and listen to him. He would say that you would come and say, you know what, I I really don't, I'm not qualified to say what life's all about. I'm really not qualified to determine how I should live and what I should love. But you are. Because you laid down your life for me. Because you know me. Because you invite me to be part of this new community that you're forming. Because you are an ultimate, you have ultimate authority over all the evil in this world. 
So are you ready to listen to him? Are you ready to join his flock? For some of us, we need to cross that line of faith, actually, and say, well, I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to seal the deal. I'm going I'm to close with him. Others of us, maybe we've, like, we've kind of given him lip service in some ways. And, and this morning, as, as we're talking about listening to Jesus, maybe he's just pinpointing one thing and saying, you know that thing that you're not really listening to me on? Yeah, I need you to listen to me. I know best. I love you. And I have your best in, in mind. And so surrender that to the, to, to the great shepherd, the good shepherd today. If I, I, I want to say, too, that if you want to process this with someone, you want to process this in community or privately with one other person, we have pastors and elders and other leaders, um, followers of Jesus, all throughout this gathering of people today. And we'd just love to, to, to talk to you, pray with you, um, and to commend Jesus to you. We just really love Jesus, and we think, that, we think that following him and listening to him is the way that God has intended for us to live. And so we would just commend him to you. And so if you want to talk, I, I'm, I'll be up at the front. You can grab um, maybe someone else you're sitting close by to and, and share with. But, but let's, in these moments of connection time, be intentional about seeking and encouraging, seeking God together and encouraging one another to seek after God, the great shepherd who loves us so much. Would, would you pray with